Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. All money ain't good money. Uh, don't go where you're not wanted. You have to really know your self-worth. And, and it's okay to say no to things. I, I don't like to be where I'm not having fun. You know what I mean? And I don't, So there's certain situations, kind of like from all my years of doing stand-up, you know when it's going to be a crappy gig. <laughs> you can just tell by the setup, oh, this is going to be that type of gig. And then you can decide if you want to take it or not. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Very excited today, have a great episode with a really, really fantastic comedian, actor, writer, and producer, Owen Smith. And his perspective on things is really interesting, and I know you're going to get a lot out of it. He's been at every level of the business in terms of writing and stand up, yet I think he'd be the first one to tell you that he has not accomplished everything that he needs to accomplish. And in his journey, his discussions about how he started and the writer's rooms and the internal workings of politics, in my mind, are invaluable. And this particular show is interesting because I wanted to launch it on the day that Rob Gronkowski from the New England Patriots retired and gave his blessings to the fans of New England. And in the same day, his agent came out and said, well, you never know. We can't rule out the fact that he may play again. And I say that because one of the shows we talk about today that Owen created, wrote, and executive produced. Although you're going to find out things that happen with that show, what you should know is that there's always the possibility that the network will call and change their mind or that things might go with another network. 
So it's going to be a really interesting thing for you to hear, and I know you're going to like it a lot. Before I get started, you can reach me on Instagram or Twitter at BarryCats or at BarryCats.com, and I'd be glad to reach you back whenever I can in my spare time. Just be patient. And I appreciate all of you who've been tuning in for so long and subscribed. It means a lot. And for you first timers listening today, welcome. And I really appreciate your support. And I hope you like the show as much as I do and hopefully the longtime listeners do. So without further ado, you may know his face from some of your favorite television commercials. But Owen Smith is a comedian. He made his late night stand-up comedy debut on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. But he was funny on several other shows before that, including Conan, Russell Simmons Presents, The Ruckus, HBO's Deaf Comedy Jam, Premium Blend, Chocolate News, Hip Hop Squares, Love You Mean It, and the Latino Laugh Festival, the show. He's made people laugh at festivals, colleges, and universities in 49 of the 50 states. In L.A., he's a regular at the world-famous comedy store Laugh Factory and Hollywood Improv. And when in New York, he brings the funny to the comedy cellar. And if you have satellite radio, then Owen definitely made you laugh on one of your favorite Sirius XM comedy channels. But over the years, Owen has also been a prolific writer and has written and produced on well-respected shows such as Survivor's Remorse, The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore, The Arsenio Hall Show, The Espy Awards, Whitney, Dion Cole's Black Box, Chris Rock's Everybody Hates Chris, Ice Cube's Are We There Yet, and the Emmy-nominated show Blackish. Additionally, Owen has shot two one-hour comedy specials, Anonymous and Good Luck Everybody, which made history as the first comedy special shot entirely on iPhones. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today. So glad to have him. Owen Smith. Thank you, Barry. Owen, one of the things that I wanted to start this show off with, which I think is interesting about you and your career, many times artists, they don't see what other people see. When they look in the mirror, they see something different than what other people see. Right. And one of the things I always try to impress upon you that maybe you don't always see is that I don't see anybody out there doing what you do. I mean, in terms of the amount of people who are high caliber people that you've worked with from Chris Rock to LeBron James, the list is endless. You've written on some great shows. You've been a part of great things. You've done great stand up and clubs you've done. Colbert, which is one of the hardest shows for a stand-up to get on, let alone an African-American stand-up comedian. And you continually always are 
working now i know artists are always like well no i'm unemployed until i get my next job i'm unemployed but one of the things even though you might not see yourself in the way that i see you and the world sees you one of the things i think that's really important for the audiences that they should know is that i'm a positive guy i wanted to wait until you got this show going that you created from nothing you wrote from nothing there was a blank page you pitched from nothing you got tons of no's and then you pitched a lebron james company who had been selling shows left and right in town and they loved it and they wanted to do it and then you did a little relationship thing which was beautiful because you did a little cameo on a pilot for fox where malcolm lee was directing and of course you kept in touch with him showed him what you were doing this pilot he loved it he signed on so now you had malcolm lee lebron james's company and then you pitched around town and bt loved it and they wanted to really go forward and they every month there was a different thing that they engaged you with to have you do rewrite this do this put this in a certain way and networks don't do that if they're not interested. LeBron James isn't signing on to everything. Malcolm Lee doesn't have the time to breathe, yet he engaged a package that was strong as oak. And so I thought to myself, why don't I wait to have Owen on the podcast <laughs> right after the end of the year when he gets word from BT and LeBron James delivering a personally autographed basketball with the name of the show on it and Malcolm Lee and having a great dinner at Nobu together celebrating the fact that your show got picked up. And after over a year and a half of working on this, killing yourself, you get the call it's not going <laughs> for the audience. I think it's important to understand what goes through your mind at that point and how you figure things out as a creator, as an executive producer, as a writer, as an artist, how to move forward after you just got the shit kicked out of you. It's almost like LeBron James posterized you and you're lying on the ground like Jason Terry was. Oh my gosh. And how do you get up and hit the game winning three later on in that contest? <laughs> you mean when you're at your lowest? How do you get up? You just do, you keep going. You, you know, the project's still not dead. Uh, and I got I had a fantastic conversation with Malcolm Lee that helped tremendously because well first you 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 lie under your covers for like a couple of days <laughs> you just block the sunlight out then uh, it's kind of like I, I didn't tell too many people so it it didn't hurt as bad you know you know how you start to go I'm about to have a show because they were talking about buying the whole season that's right they weren't just talking about doing a pilot they right. were like we're gonna pick up the whole series the whole season yeah and pay you for all of the episodes right right and um so and i i've i've starred in other pilots before where you start to count the money so i didn't do that here 
I just for the audience should know Owen has booked three pilots in the past five years. Yeah, and um, it, it only because I have a, a wife and and a child and one on the way. You you think about it in that context, like oh man. If it was just me, I probably would not even be worried at all. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So you just, you keep going. Malcolm and I had a fantastic conversation. He told me uh, some things that made me feel really good. And then... Do you mind telling the audience some of Malcolm Lee's credits? He he did. I think in the last... In, <laughs> through, it was so funny. Through the entire process of this development stage, he released two films that made over a hundred million dollars domestically <laughs> uh, would be Night School and Girl Strip. First Girl Strip, then Night School. And uh, he could do no wrong. It was, you know, and in this business, you look for like a great collaborator. And whenever I would talk to him, we would always have great conversations and it would just make the, the project even stronger. And, and all the notes I got from BT, all the rewrites, it it made the characters even stronger and made us even more excited about the show, not resented. Like you hear things where people go, I don't know what they're talking about. No, every everyone was really like on board. And the main executive there, Rose Catherine Pickney, who's Pickney, one of the yeah. greatest executives out there and a the wonderful person. And I got a wonderful call from her later as well. And, you know, so it's just, it's one of those things where you're, you're dealing with mandates. I kind of all I I never really got my hopes completely up when uh, because I had never met the new head of BT. Not saying that I expected to, but you know, just that I I never got an email from 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 the gentleman or talked to him or anything just to see you know to talk to him and say how how can I help you like you know with this problem? What are your reservations? You know. Um, so in by him keeping his distance, I was I always had like in the back of my mind, this may not go. You know what I mean? That's just my my theory. And why don't you tell the audience the process in the year and a half? That president Ooh. was he there for the whole no, year and a half? No, and that's wasn't. the important thing to mention about it. Yeah, no, he wasn't. He came in so normally when there's a changing of the guard, all the old projects are discarded, but this stayed on. And so what I knew about this project, the only thing, like this project, it just forces people to kind of look at things a little differently in that BT's audience is largely women. So on the surface, they don't see how this would uh, be appealing to women, but this is exactly what would be appealing to women. If I could have just talked to them, we would have had, you know, a conversation about that. To me, what excited me about the show is more the aspect of whenever I would get into conversations about relationships, um, one of the things that I always enjoyed was having uh, women just go, I never looked at it that way. Like, that was what I liked. So, and I know that women love to hear what guys really want to say, you know, and, uh, and I just wanted to humanize black men. Those were the the goals of, of the show. Me, at that time, my wife was pregnant with our son. I was like, man, if I could do something artistically that could help just humanize us through a funny way for black guys. And 
but it's all timing and mandates of network, all these things that you just can't control, you know, all these pieces that have to fall into place. And, uh, yeah, it just, it just didn't work out, but I, I was not, I was stunned, but I was not that stunned based on what I said. Like I, I never like, Hey, the head dude wants to have lunch. You know, I, I don't know if they do that. I don't know if he feels like he should do that, but I could have talked to him about whatever, whatever his anxieties were, you know what I mean? And just let him know that that is not the case with this project, you know? I'll tell you what his number one anxiety is now. What? Getting courtside seats to Lakers game. <laughs> oh, yeah, LeBron's not talking to him. That'd be funny. I, I, he'll be fine. Everybody will be fine. But, yeah, I, as far as keep going, it is, you know, one of the things is that writing is not the only thing I do. I do stand-up and, and act. And so I was able to shift gears and and go back kind of to my roots a little bit more and focus more on my stand-up and and uh in my acting and we'll see what this pilot season brings but and for those of you who don't know you should really check Owen out his stand-up is extraordinary there isn't one comic that works in this country that knows him that would look at his stand-up and say not good <laughs> they would all look at him and say wow he's doing the right thing up there and as an actor he's a tremendous actor as Thanks, well man. and you don't book three pilots in five years if you're a stiff <laughs> you should ask all the stand-up comics in the world how many of them have booked three pilots in five years yeah. and you'll be able to count them on half a hand. Yeah. <laughs> so although, and then I, I had, and throughout that process, what was happening is I was getting so much more confident in my writing and in my voice that I was thinking of other ideas and creating shows. And I got, I got to look at all of the other, th all, all of the other variables that are involved that you can't control. And, um, yeah, there's one variable that you can control though. Yeah. You, you, yeah. And so, uh, it was, uh, I mean, it's a blessing in, in the curse in disguise. Cause I don't know, um, you know, I, I, I don't know how the show would have, would have fit over there if they, if they apprehensively purchased it, you know what I mean? Like if everyone wasn't on board, I've, been I've worked on shows where that was kind of the case where everybody <laughs> so you don't want to move forward and live. if one guy's kind of not I knew this wasn't going to work you know then it would make the creative process more difficult than it needs to be so I think in them passing it it, it worked out best for everyone and everyone that reads the script they go why isn't this show on television which isn't a bad thing so hopefully somebody will it'll land in the right place with the right, you know, space where people will want to want to do it. But I have other ideas that I'm just as excited about. Tons of credit. Yeah, I got a lot of ideas. So it's crazy. And it's 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 uh, very encouraging that the few things that I the that the most hard, the hardest thing in this business is to get someone to read your stuff. But once people like read my stuff, it does get me. <laughs> you know pretty far so I'm excited about just the next things that I have coming up like stand up wise and on the on the scripted side and on the unscripted side so 
I'm really excited to just get that first sale. You know what I mean? Well, I, well, actually, I sold this show. I did sell it, but to get the first thing on the air will be fantastic. And Warner Brothers, they were great. They called and gave me a, an amazing speech. <laughs> Are you privy to share what was in that speech? Well, um, yeah. Uh, one of the things stated were they, what I loved about it is that, for the record, Warner Brothers is the company that LeBron James's company is run through. Mm-hmm. So they were one of the partners in the show. Yeah. One of the things that stood out with me was, listen, we're Warner Brothers and we're used to winning, and we we do win. And <laughs> um, um, she goes. Sometimes it, it it's a slam dunk, and sometimes it takes a little bit longer. But we uh, believe in this project, and this we know that once this um, that it will make it to air. Some something of like that. But I felt like it was like a basketball coach. Like <laughs> I was like, okay, all right, you know. And it helped me uh, come from under the, the covers a little bit more. It was great. Uh, and how was their words of wisdom to you different from Malcolm Lee's? What was Malcolm Lee's, his lane into the advice to you? Malcolm's advice was more from a kind of like what I stated. Like if, you know, if, 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 if someone on the buyer side is a little bit hesitant, it, it may not have been the... It, it, everything happens for a reason. He's been through this enough times to go, okay, if it didn't happen over there, that that's probably not the right place for it. The right place for it is still out there type thing. And their advice throughout the process was, I don't, I don't know, I, I, Malcolm and I also connected more on the characters. Like, we really... He knew these guys because this. I'm from. Um, I was born in the Bahamas, but I was raised in Prince George's County, Maryland, and so this was kind of like my love letter to that area of the country. It's, it's like the blackest county in America, and and <laughs> it's uh, in affluent blacks. And I grew up with my neighbor being, uh, you know. Uh, a doctor and then the government well not now it's shut down but the government was like a fixed economy so a lot of people had good jobs and just the way we speak our language our flavor and Malcolm went to Georgetown so he was very familiar and so we really connected on the on the character aspect of it and where we where we could go with these storylines and uh and Warner Brothers they got it like they they didn't get in the way they serviced it a lot and they they added just that layer of what sales and they understood the whole telephone pole of it all like what I was talking about the area I was talking about was such a specific thing that's so far removed from anything California and so they helped me put it in perspective so that when the buyers would have to walk it up to the next person you know kind of like how what needed to be in the script and it was great it was great the whole process was great except for that no (laughs) hey everybody i hope you're enjoying this episode as much as i am if you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business that's why i'm offering you my blueprint for success a -a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. 
I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey everybody, I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office, and everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the air doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the air doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. Share with our audience what happens when you're working on something and... You get hired as part of a staff. You're now, instead of creating your own thing, when you're doing that, you're the man. Yeah. Tell our audience what the difference is working for the man. Oh, man. Uh, it, it's different because by nature, as a stand-up comedian, you, you become a, one of the reasons why you become a stand-up comedian is you don't, you want to be, I wanted to be self-sufficient and not have to, um, you know, work for someone in that way, you know, but it depends. Like every, every show is different. My first experience was my, one of my funnest, uh, because the mandate was funny wins. So it wasn't necessarily we're listening to pitches by way of title, you know, co EPs. What do you have? 
uh, um, producers, what do you have? You know, co-producers, what do you, you know? Like, it wasn't that way. It was like, whoever's funny. And I thought every show would be that way. <laughs> so, but it's not. It wasn't. And so when you. So if somebody actually stands up on certain shows and says, hey, listen, everybody unfunny wins <laughs> no it's like whoever has the shittiest <laughs> joke wins you really it's really an exercise in learning how to express yourself without I don't know man it's something you just have to be in and learn like I, I my, my, a lot of my friends who be who are comedians who get their first writer's room job I I send them something called, I call it the the writer's room commandments for stand-ups. So this was, a Biggie Biggie had this uh, song called the, uh, I think it's called the 10 Crack Commandments. Boom, 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 boom. It's the 10 Crack Commandments, ugh. <laughs> so this was kind of in my head when I wrote this, and this is the writer's room commandments. Rule number one, <laughs> I wish it rhymed. In the room, make sure you laugh loud and be supportive. So don't be back there going, that ain't funny. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's in rule number two. Don't slow down the room by doing any of the following things. 2A, when breaking a story, if you hear a joke you know another comedian does or has done, do not bring that up. Writers hate that. Let it lay there. Jokes change and get swapped out during the rewrite after the table reads. So think of them as placeholders. To be, if when breaking a story, a writer pitches something you know has been done on another sitcom, i.e. The Simpsons or Martin or in a movie, do not bring that up. Writers hate that. <laughs> Just let it sit there. Let them let them get it out. Rule number three. Yes. And story pitches and joke pitches. Think of the room like a giant improv class where the unwritten rule of thumb is to yes and everything. I struggled with this in the beginning because I am not an improv guy. As a matter of fact, I hate improv. <laughs> I'm a comedian, so I think in terms of what's funny, improv guys don't think like that. But people with strong improv, UCB, Grounding, Second City training, they tend to have the most success in this area. So if you can, before you enter the room, take a beginning improv class to sharpen your yes and skills. Rule number four, after a writer pitches something, do not say, it might be funnier if, unlike comedians, writers are extremely sensitive and they hate that. <laughs> Rule number five, try not to keep saying, this is my first writer's job, so, <laughs> but technically it's not. You've written all of your material for years and that material has gotten you on TV. Rule number six, don't be logic police. Why? Because writers hate that. <laughs> Rule number seven, Stay off your phone when you're in the room. Other people might do it, but step outside to check. Send text messages, emails, and the like. You don't want to give them any excuse. Rule number eight, when the room is on a path for a story, do not pitch a different path. Write your idea down, but don't say it when they are trying to break a particular idea. Writers hate that. Rule number nine, don't take anything personally that said in the, that that is said in the room. The room is supposed to be a safe place to say whatever you want. So you have to be extremely empathetic with other people's ignorance and figure out a way to use an offensive thing someone says into a story or a plot point. Rule number 10, don't fall asleep in the room. If you feel yourself getting sleepy, leave the room for a few minutes. Maybe go to your office, take a nap at lunch, but nodding off gives people the impression that you don't want to be there. A few other things. Also, 
Oh, and yeah, no, those are the 10 solid rules. And also, like, for comedians, don't talk about shows that you have coming up in the room. Writers don't care. Uh, you're there for a job. You're already having one job, and you're in there talking about another job. It's just, they'll pretend like they care. You know, oh, that's great. We want to come see you. No one cares. And so those were, those were the 10 rules I sent to, like, my friends who are comedians and they end up finding themselves in a, in a, in a writer's room because these are all mistakes that I made. <laughs> and so you made you, every one of them. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's yeah. I'm making that, but that's where the funny comes from. I've, I've made every single one of these mistakes thinking I was protecting something or whatever. And then you go, Oh, okay. Yeah. Just let that, let it, you know? And so I was able to pass it on to a few friends and it's helped. It's helped them. Now your audience will, I have the ten. Then no one's ever done that before. No, no, and I, and again, I don't want it to come across that I'm I. When I say I hate improv, I I I hate it in the in the in the fact that it's just a different muscle. Comedy is a very selfish uh, practice. Improv is a very unselfish practice, and improv is based on failing. So when you go watch a, a show everyone there is okay if the show fa if it fails and as comedy as a comedian I don't have that luxury to go up there and fail you know <laughs> so it's just in it's just a little thing but in the writer's room that practice is wonderful I've seen people masterfully take something that would normally be be received as offensive or hurtful or ignorant and just yes and it and just make it a funny moment and it's like wow that was good who I need to get in the improv class quick <laughs> these guys <laughs> these guys are on to something so yeah tell our audience Owen's number one rule in regards to the business of show uh, my number one rule all money ain't good money. Uh, don't go where you're not wanted. Um, you have to really know your self-worth. And, and it's okay to say no to things. So I guess those are my... I, I don't like to be where I'm not having fun. You know what I mean? Um, and I, so there's certain situations, kind of like from all my years of doing stand-up, you know when it's going to be a crappy gig <laughs> you can just tell by the setup oh this is going to be that type of gig and then you can decide if you want to take it or not when i interviewed greg garcia he said something that really was fascinating to me he said sometimes the guy who has the least amount of talent in the writer's room but is the guy who at two o'clock in the morning takes the water jug and throws it over his head and does a wet t-shirt dance on the top of the table is a guy I want in the room just as much as I want the most talented writer in the room because I need a balance. I don't need all talented guys. I need some guys who can shake things up a little bit and keep the morale going. Do you agree with that? Or does that annoy you and depress you when there's a guy like that in the room and you're like, why did this guy get the job? He hasn't written one thing funny the whole season. Probably probably more of the latter. That guy would annoy me. And, that, and you have to understand his purpose and try to find a way to coexist with that cat, you know? Um, 
yeah, I, I was in, a, I had an experience like that where a guy, <laughs> you would say something funny and this guy would repeat it and explain why it's funny. <laughs> it's like, why, why are you doing this? And is, is he going to do this all day? Oh no. Uh, so that's annoying to someone of my personality. Um, but I, but I understand, you know, why other people may feel that that's necessary because I, I can see like having a guy like that in the room convinces other when, when other execs fly in, how's it going type energy. And you got this guy always on 10 and doing stuff they feel confident in their investment like that's it's a great business move to have that guy <laughs> as, as opposed to having all of these you know thinkery like writers and trust us it's going to come out good you, you know you, you want to see a guy ah, in there doing his thing uh i understand it but yeah that guy would annoy me <laughs> hey everybody let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success it's a project that I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. You're incredibly confident. Mm. There is not one shadow of a doubt that you're an extraordinarily great writer. When you get a job in a writer's room or on a show, not one time do you walk through the hallways thinking, God, am I good enough to be here? <laughs> and so many artists walk through those hallways with those doubts. Yet sometimes I feel like being the guy who's incredibly confident doesn't always help because the people around you, they sense your confidence and it puts fear in them and the thought process, holy shit, I don't want to lose my gig to this fucking guy. Let me do everything in my power to make sure this guy doesn't come back next season. Yeah, that happens. That's happened before. Yeah, for me, at the end of the day, I look at it that you know, it's this may I hope this doesn't come off wrong, but at the end of the day, it's just TV, meaning that all the stuff that we go through in the writer's room and all the the infights or whatever it may be. Nobody like when the show airs, nobody cares about that. 10, 15 years from now, you'll be lucky if people are saying talking about that show. They may go, oh, remember that, you know, so. You can't let that stuff bother you because it, 
and it's ne- it's not personal. I've seen I've seen people outside of those situations who may not have been the most pleasant be way more cordial outside of that, you know. But as when you're younger and coming up, you're like, oh, why is this happening? <laughs> you know what what's going on? Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, that I don't. I, yeah, that that can happen. How do you handle things when you're in these situations? I've gotten a lot better. What I do now, what helps is um, you have to figure out when to when to what's the best way to address some things? You know, like sometimes if you see some things that the script may need help on, sometimes you don't need to do it in the room. You know. You may just need to send a little note. Hey, I have some ideas if you're interested. You know, I'd love to share and, and have your stuff ready so they can you can just create a little shorthand. But this doesn't need to slow down, the you know, slow down the room. When you're younger and you're just trying to prove your worth, you may go, hey, and I notice, hey, and I notice this, hey, and I know. And the people are like, whoa, all right, man, slow down, you know. So sometimes you don't need to you know, do it in the room. That helps tremendously. And then you just meet on the side with two guys. Hey, da, 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 da. thank you. And then you just keep it moving. You know, tell our audience what your advice is when you're, I mean, this could be in any job, to be honest with you, when you suspect it, mm-hmm. but you find out that somebody who's has great power not necessarily as much power as the creator and showrunner of a show, mm-hmm. but somebody who has great power, you suspect that they don't like you, that they're not on your side, <laughs> and then it's verified by you overhearing a conversation or somebody coming across and telling you, look, yeah. this person doesn't like you and doesn't like how you handle yourself. What's your philosophy on how you make it right? Or do you go by the philosophy, there's nothing I can do to make it right? No, I mean, one of the the best advice I was ever given is uh, people always say communication is key. Uh, That's not true. Effective communication is key. So sometimes it's... That's when you have to do like what my wife says. You have to put your big boy pants on and you have to figure out a way to communicate, you know, maybe to that person or to someone else, you know, because you at the end of the day, you all want the same thing. You want the show to be great. So how can we annoy each other less? You kind of got to have that conversation. If you don't, if that's not in you to have that conversation, then plan B's with my mom always would tell me, keep detailed notes, <laughs> keep detailed notes because you probably will be lied on. And if you have notes like, like, you know, yo man, pedophiles don't keep notes, B. <laughs> like, if you like, hey, I was here eight o'clock here. This, I said, this, the pedophiles say, oh, hey, I don't know. So keep detailed notes if it's not in your nature to be able to like communicate with somebody like that but uh first thing you you know you can't you can't let it get to you it's hard because everyone's passionate everyone wants the same thing you know for the show to succeed so you know that's that's the 
the craziest thing about staffs, you know, writer staffs is that, you know, you may not be working with someone you would pick, but hey, man, everyone in there is always, they're super talented. They all should have their own show. You know, you're dealing with like, you know, accomplished people on the highest level. And so it's, it's, it's hard. It's kind of like, uh, I'm trying to think. It's kind of like, I guess like the super friends would be a good analogy. Like everybody has a superpower. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know. Why do they all listen to Superman? You know, like, oh, uh, you know, everybody, everybody feels like they can do something as well. So you just have to, and if it doesn't work out, you, you learn your lessons and you just take that on to the next job. Like, okay, I see what this is. And you really have to, you know, practice effective communication every step. And that's something that as a society, we all just need to do more of, you know. And in those instances, it helps. If, and a third option is if you if you have some type of ally, you express concern early and again, keep your notes and it's it, it, it and and just you know bide your time. That gig won't be your funnest. It'll just be you know a check, unfortunately. <laughs> but don't let it diminish what you give you know to the room. Don't let it dim your light. You know that's that usually has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them. But yeah. All right. I want to go way, 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 okay. way back. Okay. Take me back to where you grew up mm-hmm. and your mom and dad were like the family, the mm. socioeconomic dynamic. And mm-hmm. what was your first inspiration to get in this crazy business? Way, way back. Born in Nassau, Bahamas, um, July 3rd, 1973 at exactly 8 o'clock p.m. Uh, my mom says I was made for prime time. So I didn't come out at 8.01, not 7.58, came out at 8 p.m. Except if it was a TBS show. Then, then, it would then be I, would be, I would be 8.05. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, born Owen Harold Michael Smith was nameless for like the first two weeks because my parents were married uh, when they had me but they were arguing over my name my father wanted to name me an African name because that was very popular in the 70s what was the African name? it was something like Jide Olueba or something (laughs) (laughs) something unnecessary and uh, and my mom wanted to name me a um, she was like she was trying to play chess with society and she was like he won't get a job with a name like that so we need to name him she wanted to name me Owen. She wins, names me Owen. Nine months into it, parents split. My mom leaves the Bahamas with me. I find out years later that she did not necessarily leave with all my papers in order. <laughs> like She just kind of smuggled me out, and we came to Washington, D.C., southeast Washington, D.C., lived with my aunt, Cicely, my aunt Sissy. On, a, on Good Hope Road in Marbury Plaza. And then my mom moved uh, just across the Washington, D.C. line of Prince George's County, Maryland, to an apartment complex uh, called uh, Pembroke Apartments. And uh, back then, you could still, my mom was a single mom. So back then, landlords could still kind of like discriminate on 
one um, one parent households. And so I didn't know it at the time, but in Pembroke, it was uh, an entire complex of basically single moms <laughs> raising boys. Like all of my friends in the neighborhood were boys and we were all we all grew up giving each other horrible advice on, on women and in life but it was the funnest some of the funnest times of my my life and uh, yeah yeah man I grew up in Pembroke Prince George's County in Suitland Maryland uh, and I went to my mom worked for the government she worked for the Department of Interior and then she worked at the marshals u.s marshal service and so when she was at interior i went to private school grades two through six i was the only kid in my complex who went to private school everyone else went to the public school in the neighborhood and if you could imagine like 30 boys walking to the bus stop and i was the only one with like a big briefcase of books like an insane with the combination lock and I had the little goofy like I was kind of dressed preppy-ish and I had the a part in my hair that my mom cut my hair and everybody else was just cool they had like lighter backpacks you know I don't know and they would all walk over and catch the cool bus and I would catch this little bus to private school <laughs> and then we would all play together afterwards like after school and then in seventh grade I didn't go to the satellite middle school I went to a Lutheran school for a year and then it was in eighth grade was when I went to public school for the first time. But I was first growing up in that environment, always kind of being an outsider, not going to the neighborhood school, not really being from Maryland, even though I grew up in an all black neighborhood, like everybody was black. Like if you could imagine like the stoplights, every stoplight is black people to the left, black people to the right, like the music, the energy, everything was us. And uh, we saw white people, but it wasn't like, man, all right. It wasn't a thing. And then in the Bahamas, we have black people on our money. So I was I didn't realize I was a minority until I went to college. Uh, I went to uh, I went to Notre Dame, which is like technically like one of the whitest places on <laughs> on earth at that time. So it was like a, that was my culture shock. What other schools did you get into? I got into a lot of schools. I got into Princeton. I got into Maryland. You have to ask my mom. Yeah, it was a list. Was, no. Yeah. So you got into an Ivy League school, mm -hmm. but you mm -hmm. decided against them. Yeah, I didn't want to go. I wanted to get away from home. And my family is from Asbury Park, New Jersey in Neptune, New Jersey, and I felt like my mom would just drop by. If I went to Princeton, I felt like she would just show, hey, I was in the neighborhood. whoa, what are you doing here? So <laughs> I just wanted to go. I wanted to come to California, but her thing was you can't go further than a day's drive because of she's one of eight and one of her brothers went far away to school and then they didn't see each other that much. And so she says, you need to be at least a day's drive. So Notre Dame was the furthest I could get away from, from PG County. But I only wanted to get away from there just to see what life was like someplace else. And, um, and so my first inspiration for stand-up was when I was nine years old. My mom would send me to this babysitter. That's the term we use. This woman who would watch us. And Miss King, Miss King's house. And um, 
when my mom would like have a date or something, I would spend the night at Miss <laughs> King's house. I found out later that's what she was doing. Did you ever meet any of your mom's dates? No. Thank God. That was now they got divorced. Worst nightmare. They separated at nine months, didn't get divorced until I was maybe twelve. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Aquatrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life and instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. I became gunshy. I didn't do another special for like seven years. And the next one I did, I did it with iPhones. I said, I'm not spending a dime. So what I did was I bought 10 iPhones and I shot a special on them. And then I returned the iPhones <laughs> and got my money back. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going for. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, 
Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.